Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. We highlight keen investment insights and strategies so you can become a real estate mogul. Here's your host, Yannick Kujo Virgin. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Mogul Marathon Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Yannick Cujo Virgil, and I'm very, very excited for our guest today. Today, we have a guest that is an expert in self-storage investing, and he uses seller finance. So we're going to talk about self-storage today and really pick his brain on how he's currently operating in his market. And so today's guest is Gabe Peterson. Now, Gabe is the founder of Kaizen Properties and the host of the Real Estate Investing Club podcast. Gabe started his career as a management consultant for Fortune 500 companies in Seattle, Washington, but soon realized the corporate world did not fit the vision he had for his life. During his seven years in corporate, Gabe tried his hand at building an e-commerce business, a t-shirt company, and even worked as a part-time digital marketing consultant. It wasn't until he bought his first broken down triplex in Tacoma, Washington, that he truly found his path in real estate. After selling that first triplex in 2014, Gabe had officially caught the real estate investing bug. And so now he owns and operates Kaizen Properties, buying and repositioning commercial real estate across the U.S. with a special focus on self-storage and industrial properties. And so with his experience across many different asset classes and strategies, Gabe eventually decided to start what you know today as the Real Estate Investing Club podcast and YouTube show. Gabe, thank you so much for being a guest on our show. Yannick, yeah, thanks for having me on. So before we jump in, why don't you take a couple of seconds to give our listeners a quick insight on, on your story and how do you got to where you are today? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I feel like uh, my story, it's definitely not linear, but I feel like that's kind of the case with a lot of investors out there. I got started, as you said, I got started in the corporate world, worked there for about seven years um, in management consulting, doing mostly kind of project management style stuff, business analysis. But I never liked it. I didn't like the commute. It just really didn't fit my personality. And so I was always like trying to find the next step. Like, what am I going to do? I, I always wanted to start a business, but I couldn't figure out which business to start. I couldn't figure out you know, what to do. I didn't really have those influences growing up. So I didn't have a model to follow. And so I was doing all the types of things that you'd imagine you know, in your 20s. I'm sure a lot of guys out there listening to this, you, you did the same thing. You had Facebook feed would scroll across. You'd see e-com store, start a drop ship store, start a digital marketing store. I did all those things. You know, I had an e-commerce store. We brought it up to like thirty thousand a month, but the margins were so thin, and I really did not like like just sitting behind a desk and like staring at a screen all day. And so I I kept trying new things while working the corporate job. Um, and then in 2014, I flipped a triplex here in Tacoma with a buddy of mine, and we made like eighty thousand dollars, and it was the most I'd ever seen in a single check. And I was like, okay, there's something to this. This is <laughs> this works. You know, I did kind of real estate on the side and I was wholesaling and doing some single family stuff, um, bought a rental, a couple of rentals. Uh, but it wasn't until 2019 uh, when I 
made the leap, left my corporate job and really dove into real estate. I started in commercial. Um, I bought a mobile home park with some partners. Um, and then we quickly bought another mobile home park. And in 2021, two years ago, I decided to take kind of an overview of all the different asset classes and choose one that I really wanted to focus in on because that is where you really gain traction. When you when you figure out an asset class, you figure out how the business model works and then you execute. So I chose self-storage facilities. I really like self-storage and the rest is history. I, I bought since uh, 2021, we've bought five facilities. This last, uh, I mean, we'll go into this, but this last feel like the market has really been tough in these last six months um, just because there's a mismatch in the seller expectations and the buyer expectations. So those first five facilities were bought within probably a year and a half. Um, and then we, we've been searching for our next deal. And that's where we're at. That's awesome. There's so much to unpack there before we jump into it. I think, uh, you know, the entrepreneurial journey that you've you've had is somewhat similar to mine because not a lot of people know about this, but I actually did try to start a drop shipping business while <laughs> I was rehabbing my knee uh, trying to get back in the NFL. <laughs> there you go. And, um, you know, I've always had that entrepreneurial like, you know, bug inside of me, whether it's a young kid, you know, mowing lawns, trying to make it happen selling things at school, trying to make a quick buck, or in this case, like you mentioned, the drop shipping, which I did make like one or two sales, but you know, I quickly found that, you know, this isn't gonna be for me, right? And then I picked yeah, up the yeah. book Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you know, just like everyone else in real estate and got the real estate book. So it's very, very yeah. Rich interesting. Dad, Poor Dad, man. That book shows up in so many different investors' stories. And in mine too, that's when I, before I bought that triplex in 2014, I had read Rich Dad Poor Dad, and I read it in like yeah. literally like a day. It's a tiny ass book, but I read it, and it really it, it aligned me to the power of real estate. And I appreciate what it what it has done to so many different investors' uh, stories. Yeah, absolutely. So let's dive into the self storage business side of things, right? So how do you guys primarily? And I, I can totally understand where you're coming from from a bid versus ask perspective, right? You have sellers that are out there that think their property is worth, you know, 2020 prices when interest rates were like 3%, right? But now things are double, interest rates are like 6 to 7%. And as a commercial real estate investor, you know, although we look at the deal from a totality perspective, we understand that interest rates have a big impact on our ability to absorb or, or take on the cash flow on a particular asset. So talk to us about how you're finding these deals and you know your, your strategy when you acquire these self-storage facilities. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've done all off market so far. We find them, um, you know, we do our own marketing uh, and everything that everybody else does. So we do uh, mailers, cold calling, texting, you know, all the standard things. Um, we just do off market marketing, get in contact with sellers and then negotiate them that way. Um, I have been recently looking, you know, doing a little bit more networking with brokers and wholesalers just because, I mean, as I said, the pool of really good deals has has been, um, it's been difficult to find great deals. And that's those are the kind of things that I've been wanting to close down is just killer deals. And so, yeah, we do it off market. And one, so far, what I've been very blessed and lucky to do is negotiate seller financing with the majority of the deals that I've closed, you know, we get good terms. In fact, one of them we got, uh, this was back when interest rates were around 3%. We got the seller to give us 2.67% interest on uh, for a, an 11 year amortization period, um, which is just killer. 
And so um, I love seller financing. I think it's a it's a benefit for both parties for um, you know the seller and the buyer. It allows you a lot of flexibility. You know, if the seller wants a higher price point, you know, you can negotiate terms. So I, I love seller financing, and that's what we've done with a, a lot of the deals that we've closed. That's awesome. Uh, I think that strategy in today's environment is even more key because, you know, in this environment, right, you, you can't just rely on just a straight up purchase to make deals work, right? Interest rates have gone up astronomically. You really have to go into your toolbox as a real estate investor and figure out, you know, what are the multiple ways that you can carve out the deal, right? Is it just buying it straight up, you know, going to a bank, trying to get 75% LTV, do you have the cash to purchase it or can the seller, um, you know, give you some time to uh, acquire the property under seller financing, reposition it. And, you know, hopefully when interest rates are hopefully, you know, uh, in the next couple of years where interest rates have, you know, changed a little bit, that would be a little bit more favorable for commercial real estate investors. You can refinance out, extract some value out of it and, you know, cash out this, you know, your seller financed, uh, you know, seller. Hey, listen up. If you're an employee, business owner, or professional athlete with money in the bank earning 0% return and you're thinking about passively investing in real estate, well, you need to check out our ultimate syndication guide for passive investors. This free guide absolutely covers everything you need to know about passively investing in real estate syndication or just real estate in general. If you want access to this valuable resource, go to MerlinAcquisitions.com slash Passive Guide to download the free syndication guide for passive investors. That's M-E-R-L-Y-N-N Acquisitions.com slash Passive Guide or head over to the show notes and click the link to download. Now let's get back to the show. When you are acquiring these properties, you know, what's the strategy overall on these self-storage facilities? Are you... Are we looking at, you know, um, top tier markets, you know, uh, high end self storage? Are we looking for um, a little bit more um, granular local self storage facilities? Because it's my understanding that, you know, population has a lot to do with with self storage. Is that correct? Yeah, um, your your three mile, five mile radius population has a big impact on. Well, it's all it's all dependent upon the each individual facility. Obviously, you really want to do a deep dive on the the metrics around that facility to figure out whether it's a it's a deal or not. Um, but the the main metric is net rentable square feet per capita. Um, usually, it's like nine or ten ish. It becomes a saturation point. So if you go above that, then you really you, it's not that it's not a deal. It's just that you just got to be wary um, if there's too much self storage in the area already. We will invest in any any market. You know, we like larger markets. Obviously, Dallas is the um, we own two facilities there. Love Dallas, but we'll, we'll invest in small markets too. And especially if it's on you know a main highway that connects to major markets, for instance, between like Houston and and Austin, or you know any any major market uh, on a major highway. And so, yeah, the the population is important. Um, it's a good indication that you can be filled, especially if the net rentable square feet is low per capita. Uh, but it's not the end all be all. Um, we what we really like to see and we really really look at is there has to be a positive net migration, and so the city has to be growing, has to be positive job growth, 
and yeah, and then all the other small things that you'll look at when you're not small things, all the other things that you'll look at when you're doing a value add purchase. Is there an ability to expand? If they're at low occupancy, why are they at low occupancy? Do they not have a marketing plan in place? Do they not have a for self storage? It would be a, a gate, a fence, security system, all the things that people expect when they rent from a self storage facility. So we look at those things to see if there's any value add that we can add there. Makes total sense. Makes total sense. And in the self-storage space, you know, talk about maybe like your operations and depth behind maybe if you're taking over properties from, you know, mom and pop operators that are not necessarily like tech savvy and repositioning it, making things a little bit more easier for your your tenants or or customers that that come in and and put things in a level that, you know, allows it to be a, a seamless process, right? From searching, you know, finding your your self-storage asset to clicking a button, you know, securing their unit and maybe just, you know, streamlining that process. Can you give us some color behind that? Yeah, yeah, and for sure. And that's one of the um that's one of the biggest value adds we've been able to add to our facilities. A couple of them, you know, the seller was just kind of tapped out. He he wasn't really managing the facility well at all. He didn't have an online presence, didn't have a website, wasn't up on Google. Um, he was managing everything with pencil and you know paper and pencil um, and Excel, and so didn't have a good system to man- manage the tenants or the customers themselves. Uh, and so adding all those things, adding a website, getting on Google, putting up Google Ads, um, getting on you know some kind of CRM system. Uh, we use ESS. Um, all those things make a huge difference. And then also putting up proper signage, making sure that you're visible. Um, we use QR codes. And so when somebody goes up to our, our facility, there's going to be a QR code that says, and when you're talking about hands-free or, or uh, touchless um, renting, it's just they walk out of the facility, they scan the QR code, and they can rent a unit right there. And that also reduces your operational costs. Um, one of the facilities that we bought had a full-time employee there, and we basically cut down our on our expenses because that it wasn't a necessary hire. That person didn't need to be there. Um, it could have been a remote facility, which we did. We we you know put up signage, we put up that QR code, and um, we're able to fill it just with uh, with remote operations. That's wonderful. So maybe give us some color behind you know one of the deals that you've done in the past. You know, would certainly love to hear more about the uh, the seller that gave you that two point six percent interest rates. You know, walk us through one of those deals so you know our listeners can really get a full grasp of the acquisition process of a deal that you've done in the past and, and how you've already, you know, uh, completed or you're currently completing the the business plan. Yep. Uh, yeah, that low interest rate, that was a mobile home RV park out here in Moses, um, in, uh, in Washington state. And so that was not self storage, but it was still a great deal. It was mobile home park. We got it for pretty cheap and it, you know, it, it was a good deal. It's uh 44 units. It used to be a, a Camp of America, a KOA kind of situation. And so had a, a big building at the front with an apartment on top. And so we rented out that the apartment. And then basically, we're going to turn that lower level into apartments. And that one was a good deal just because we bought it at a good price. And I, I you know, those are the that's the weakest story when you're talking about value add uh, is you buy it at a good price. And that's the only reason that it's, it's such a killer deal. But we did. We got it at a great price. Um, we got great financing. And uh, yeah, worked out well. But another, I'm going to take you because that one kind of has a weak story. Uh, a good story is um, this facility I closed uh, last year in Indianapolis. Um, it was 
So let's see, it had 148 units, about, I think it was 15,000, 16,000 net rentable square feet. Um, so kind of a smaller facility, but it was doing it was doing good numbers. Um, it was also under market in rent and it was at like 98% occupancy. So it was, it was performing well and it was at low, it, it was under market in rent. We went to the seller, we negotiated seller financing and this seller wanted above what it would generally be worth. He wanted, I think it was like, um, well, 1.4 million is what we bought it for. But he, I think that was, uh, somebody can do the math. It's like 75 or $80 per square foot. It's more than it's worth, but he was just foot down at that price. And so we're like, okay, we can make this work. Let's just negotiate seller financing. Um, so we did, he gave us interest only seller financing, which is fantastic. I love interest only, which made it so that, you know, cash flow is a lot better. And he gave us that for 20 years. And so we can keep that interest only financing in place for 20 years, cash flow. And the the cherry on top is the facility is on large acreage. There's five buildings built out. It's already permitted for an additional five buildings. So we can double the footprint of the building. And so we bought the facility with that interest only financing. And then we changed over operations. We increased the rates to market. We lost a lot of tenants in the process, but now we're going back up. Once we hit 95% occupancy, we're going to begin the build and then double the double. It's actually going to be more than double the footprint because the way that they they designed the original um, the original build plan was it just didn't utilize the space very well. And so it'll probably be like 1.25 you know, 125% of what the original uh, footprint was. So we're going to more than double the double the footprint, hopefully fill that up pretty quick and it'll be a good deal. That's perfect. That's perfect. I want to touch on two things that I think is really, really important for us to dissect and in, in what you said as it relates to the price, right? Because I think in real estate, especially people who are new and getting into real estate, don't really understand the value of seller financing. And I think you know, uh, one of the things that that I know that a lot of times, you know, when you're when you're in negotiations, it's either the price or terms. Just because the price isn't what you should pay for it today doesn't necessarily mean that you can't make it up in the terms, right? I think that is really really crucial when you are looking at opportunities, specifically maybe in this market, right? I mean, interest rates are just astronomical. But I think as a whole, fundamentally, I think a lot of people get too caught up emotionally in price when a lot of times there are different ways to skin the cat, if you would, you know, when you look at it from a terms perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And that deal, I mean, we wouldn't, I wouldn't have been, um, been able to bring in capital for that deal at that purchase price because it wasn't a good deal on paper. Like if we had had to go out and get a loan, wouldn't have made sense even with the expansion, uh, mostly because if you're paying, if you take that 5% interest on the 1.4 um, and you go to a bank, you have to put, you know, 25% down and then you have to, you get 75% at 5% interest with the principal payment on top of that. The mortgage is going to be higher. It's just not going to make a ton of sense. Um, but with interest only payments, it made a, a lot of sense. And then um, having that 20 year period. So you don't, you know, we have a long runway to, uh, to kind of get to where we need to be to do that build out which is where the numbers really make it juicy, then yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, totally agree. And so on the construction side for that particular deal, uh, I would assume that it's the construction costs aren't really, I mean, you're just building boxes, right? It's not like multifamily where you have to worry about plumbing and HVAC. Uh, talk about that a little bit as it relates to 
you know, your execution and just the simplicity behind the business plan. Yeah. I mean, construction costs used to be a lot lower, but now, I mean, so we got a bid on this, on the facility that we wanted to build out. And I think it was at $80 a square foot, which you can buy facilities for less than $80 a square foot. And so build costs are kind of high right now. Um, We are looking to wait it out and see, uh, see where it goes. But yeah, even at $80 a square foot, if we build it, then it's going to uh, it makes sense financially in terms of what it should bring in because we can do right now the facility is 100% outdoor drive up but we can do interior um, climate controlled which can rent at a at a premium and so should be good that's perfect and so on the construction side of things is it the interest rates that uh, are holding you back you know you think that the construction loans are just a little bit too pricey in today's environment versus what you might pay say a year from now if the fed decides to come down on rates I mean, it's both interest rates and it's the cost of construction. Um, so you used to be able to build uh, per square foot and in like the fifty to sixty dollar range, and now it's up to the eighty dollar range. And so, and I'm not saying that it definitely will go down, but as we understand it, we think it should go down a little bit, and that's kind of what we're holding out for. And and this is all dependent upon us. You know, the business plan says that we're going to wait until ninety five percent occupancy at our f- current footprint with market prices. Once we hit that point, then we go into the expansion. And so we're really, you know, once we hit that 95% occupancy rate, that's when we're going to revisit the numbers and and see where construction costs are, see if we want to take on and interest rates, you know, if we want to take on that debt with the income that it should bring in. Based on our our initial underwriting, it should make sense regardless, but um, it's just something that we're considering, you know, we're going to consider when it actually happens. That's perfect. So talk about your podcast. I know that you have a coaching platform as well. Maybe some of our listeners are excited about what you're doing. They want to get into self-storage. You know, how can our listeners, you know, follow you and and be a part of your mastermind? Uh, yeah, the Real Estate Investing Club. It's a podcast um, at therealestateinvestingclub.com. I have people on from every asset class. I love learning. And that's what I love about real estate is there's so many ways to do it. There's so many business plans, so many asset classes that you can jump into. Um, so we we interview them all in the real estate investing club, and yeah, we haven't launched the coaching program yet. I've been too focused on the deals that I've been doing. I have the structure built out, but I haven't haven't put the final bells and whistles on it. But we should be launching it at the end of 2023, so uh, around the September area, we should be able to be launching that. When it does go live, we're going to be having a group course and then also a one on one that we're going to be offering. That's perfect. Gabe, we talked a lot about, you know, self-storage, your strategy, seller financing, you know, one of the deals that you're working on, just a lot of, I think, actionable information we talked about today. So thank you so much for being a guest on our show. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to another episode of the Mogul Marathon Commercial Real Estate Podcast. Let's take action. Be great. And remember that real estate is a marathon, not a sprint. So run your own race. Thanks again, Gabe. Love it. Yeah. Thanks, Yannick. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.